Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland, and we are now going to do my second favorite episode of any given year, the follow-up from the previous year's predictions. As many of my longtime listeners know, uh, like many other tech podcasts, I take it upon myself to usually grab a hapless guest to join me in the studio and make predictions about what will happen over the following 12 months. That is my quote-unquote favorite episode of the year, and my second favorite is when we revisit it a year later and see how we did. So last year, I had Ayaz Akhtar join me on the show, and this year, uh, for the results, I have Ayaz Akhtar on the show. Hey, Ayaz, how are you? I'm good. I'm hoping I'm less hapless than last year. Yeah, I know. I think we both got happed a couple times throughout the That's year. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll handle it. We, we, we're not, not quite to happy, but we're working toward it. Right. That's some good feedback. It's almost haptic. Yes, it is almost haptic. Yeah, you can really sense it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the predictions we made last year. We've both gone back and listened to that episode, uh, written down some notes, kind of uh, evaluated how far or close we were uh, when, you know, when reality unfolded. Did we get it right? Were we wrong? Somewhere in between. And it kind of spans the whole spectrum. Uh, so... One of the things I said at the very beginning of last year's episode was that I was determined to make bolder predictions because I had discovered that it didn't matter if I made more modest predictions. My accuracy was still pretty awful. So if you're going to make awful predictions, at least make big awful predictions, right? It does, no one's impressed if you make a modest prediction and that's wrong. It's just that's. That's kind of boring. So the first one I, I made was that in 2016, the year that is now coming to a close, Microsoft would buy Yahoo's core business. And I, as you actually had a slightly different take on it, you thought that perhaps there'd be some wireless carrier or maybe um, Apple or possibly Facebook buying Yahoo's core business. As it turns out, the, the wireless carrier was the best of the predictions. Because, as we know, Microsoft didn't buy Yahoo's core business, nor Apple, nor Facebook. Instead, it was Verizon. Yeah, only $4.83 billion on the deal. Now, I know that the uh, right after the news of that came that news of the Yahoo hack that, I don't know how many, was it like half a billion people or accounts were compromised, something crazy like that? Yeah. That Verizon is kind of cautiously going forward. I read recently that the uh, the head of AOL... Sorry, it's not AOL. Yahoo was concerned that this will go cautiously optimistically. <laughs> Let's use as many uh, adverbs as we possibly can. Now, Verizon did acquire AOL in 2015. So Verizon's been kind of on a tear recently. Uh, and a lot of people are kind of curious to see what happens with Yahoo's core business going on in the future. And I'm pretty sure at this point I'm going to have to do a full episode about Verizon. Uh, and then we came to Iaz's first prediction. Oh, yeah. That 3D printers would go much more mainstream in 2016. And the idea was there was a lot more 3D scanning technology. There was a bunch of uh, – there's phones out there now that have, like, 3D scanning. Uh, but, Jonathan, you disagree with me on 3D printing going mainstream. And not because it had potential, because the technology just wasn't ready yet, right? Yeah, it just was – it was still at that level where unless you have a lot of patience – 
and uh, you don't mind babysitting the technology for quite some time, you're not likely to have very um, very satisfying results. It's it's very easy to create a bad 3D print job, right? So take take like the f- most finicky printer you've ever had any experience with, and then imagine that it has to print in three dimensions, not just in two. And you realize, yeah, this is a this is a recipe for potential disaster. And in fact, that's kind of how I that's my, been my experience with 3D printers. Uh, so we wanted to take a look. Like, did 3D printers really take off in 2016? Did they become, or at least, did we see you know a, a good solid uh, improvement in in market adoption? Um, and and really it it just kind of it did continue to grow it's not like it's not like it stopped growing it it didn't the rate of growth didn't increase but it's still chugging along pretty healthily so um i guess it's a partial win for you ias i think yeah, i mean it, more mainstream doesn't mean that it's doing well but i i'd say very small partial here i'm not going to even give myself a lot of credit for this one it's doing better than it, it was uh, at the beginning of the year compared to the beginning of the year but it's still Still not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And in fact, later on in the episode, you did clarify. You said that you weren't really thinking about it being a 3D printer on everybody's desk by the end of 2016. You were saying that you expected to see that trend continue. And uh, and in fact, that's exactly what has happened. There are no dramatic changes. Uh, it's not like, uh, as far as I know, I didn't hear about any massive drive to buy a bunch of 3D printers during the the holiday sales, for example. Um, I think in large part, it's one of those things that people who are interested in the field are still going out and, you know, looking at the different models that are out there and trying to decide which one is best for them. It has not really penetrated your average consumer's mind as this is a must-have item. But I, I uh, I think you were more right than wrong. Uh, my next prediction was that Apple, now that we're getting further and further removed from Steve Jobs's Apple company, that Apple was going to start offering up more products that would seem like they were not as directly influenced by Steve Jobs. I realize now in retrospect that that is an incredibly difficult prediction to to judge whether or not I was right because without knowing without having Steve Jobs here to say hey would you do that it's it's kind of um impossible to answer unless you just see something that just looks like welcome to the the Apple cinder block like then you'd say okay no that Steve Jobs would not come out with a cinder block and I don't put- know about that one maybe <laughs> I, th- I think the only the only thing for sure we could tell if there was no uh clones you know P- uh, Mac clones out there that's definitely something that was anti jobs at the time yeah. when he came back to Apple he killed that off so, I mean, without looking backwards, I don't know how we would ever tell, but I'm pretty sure we have a decent catalog of things that Apple could have done that uh, Steve Jobs didn't like. Yeah. I mean, in the last year episode, we mentioned the, the pencil stylus device that had been introduced in, in late 2015 and how that was something that, that Steve Jobs had kind of ridiculed at one point back when a stylus was the only way to interact with some handheld devices. And he said, no one wants that. And I, as you pointed out, well, the Apple solution is that it's, it's a, uh, an additional peripheral. It's not necessary to interact with the device, but it's an additional way to interact with the device, which is a slight distinction. Um, not sure how Steve Jobs would have felt about abandoning 
the uh, lightning ports on MacBook Pros where they switched from lightning to USB-C uh, or uh, the idea of – I'm pretty sure he would have been down with the idea of getting rid of the headphone jack. I don't see Steve Jobs as saying, no, that's something we absolutely have to keep. Um, I think uh, for the – that, that's referring to the iPhone. The new iPhones don't have the headphone jacks. They just have the lightning connector. It does make it weird if you have a MacBook Pro and an iPhone that you can't use a simple cable between the two <laughs> to, to charge your iPhone while your MacBook Pro is running. But um, I don't think I don't think any of those were big warning flags saying Steve Jobs would absolutely not want this to happen. And to potentially save you hundreds and thousands of emails, when you said Apple moving away from Lightning to USB-C, did you mean the Thunderbolt port? That's what I meant, Thunderbolt port, okay. yeah. Yeah, because Thunderbolt is built into the new versions of these USB-C style receptacles. It's such a weird thing that's actually in the MacBook Pro right now. That I don't really have a great way to explain it. Maybe you could. It's, it's like it's a Thunderbolt enabled USB. Sorry, Thunderbolt three enabled USB C input. It's a very strange name. Very so, odd. Yeah. I think moving towards standard things is within the realm of Jobs. The idea of simply going, okay, this is the future. We don't care. We're making. We're drawing the line right now. I think it looks a lot like the way the MacBook Air was set up in the first place with its original one USB port that grew a little bit. Same thing with the MacBook Pros. Uh, the headphone jack removal, yeah, I, I would, I could believe that happening. Uh, maybe, although Jobs really did like music, I don't know if he would want you to listen to Bluetooth headphones. To be honest. Yeah, I mean that. It, it's a good point. I mean, well, the fact that you're already listening on uh, an Apple device and you're likely listening to some form of compressed music. I mean, you could be listening to uncompressed music files, but. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it does seem like it would be another step further away from that, that, that experience that truly defined the, or redefined Apple. I mean, the iPod, uh, I would argue was the product that brought Apple truly to the forefront of the technology world again. And the iPhone cemented their place once, once it came out. That, uh, you know, when Steve Jobs came back to the company and he began to revitalize the Mac platform, uh, the iPod was really the, the device that kind of got the tech world's attention and said, Oh wow, Apple's doing stuff again. Uh, so to, to make that step where you are saying, Oh, you know, Bluetooth headphones are fine. That does seem a little weird, but I can't really say this is a win or a loss. And it's largely because again, at the very beginning, as I said, it's hard to judge how well I did without having the authority there to weigh in. So that you, in retrospect, it was a bad prediction just because there's, it's hard to judge if it was correct or not. Unless again, there was something that was just wildly out of character for Apple. Yeah. I predict you will not be making predictions like that for your next show. I certainly hope I won't. <laughs> All right. So, so my, my, my next prediction was about wearables. Yes. Uh, this, Wearables will be better with follow-ups to the earlier smartwatches and activity trackers. 2016 was supposed to be the year we're going to see refined approaches. And I'm laughing at reading my own note here. There will be a compelling reason to own a smartwatch. Um, the reality, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> There's currently no true compelling reason that anyone needs a smartwatch. That's just my own opinion. Uh, I saw a report uh, on the day we're recording this. IDC just released a, uh, a wearables market uh, report and they said basic wearables primarily composed of fitness bands accounted for 85% of the market 
and experienced double-digit growth. Now, by the way, year-over-year growth for the third quarter between 2016 compared to 2015, 3.1%. So not a huge growth in the in wearables, which includes smartwatches and, and uh, fitness devices. So Google basically sat out when it came to Android Wear. They're like, yeah, we're going to show a new one. Here it is, and we're going to release it 2017. They backed yeah. off of it very hard. Apple basically said, we screwed up. They redefined their, their watch with watchOS 3. It's it's really not even close. Um, I don't see smartwatches everywhere. Do you see smartwatches everywhere where you are? Uh, no, I do not. I, I mean, I'm wearing a Pebble right now, but some people would argue that Pebble doesn't really – like some, some would say Pebble almost doesn't fit the definition of a smartwatch because it has limited uh, interactive abilities and, you know, you've got the monochromatic screen and – uh, it, but that's all I, I want it because it gives me notifications and I don't ignore them. I don't, or I don't miss them. Uh, so specifically when someone's calling me, I don't miss those calls anymore because when I'm walking, I, I walk to and from, uh, home and, and work. When I'm walking, I often don't feel my phone vibrating if someone calls me, but I feel my wrist vibrating. So, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's why I have one, but that's the, that's the only compelling reason is really because otherwise I miss phone calls and my wife gets mad at me. Um, my wife has an, uh, iWatch, uh, she's got an Apple Watch and, um, I mean, she likes it just fine, but yeah, I don't see them everywhere. There's like maybe one other person in this office who has one and that's it. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not seeing an explosion in adoption right now. Wearables are one of those things where I think uh, the potential is there. No one has created the killer, uh, the killer product that people absolutely must go out and purchase, and so it, it remains this kind of promised land that no one's been able to tap into. I'm sure uh, as we record this. Ayaz and I are both in our own individual ways preparing for the apocalypse known as CES, uh, which will take place at the very beginning of January 2017. And we both know wearables will yet again be an enormous story there because it's, it's, it's an area of potential growth. And whenever those exist within the world of electronics, you're going to see endless examples of it on the CES show floor. The question is, will we see one that's so interesting and so different from the other thousands of products that we've already seen that we will be convinced, yes, this is the one that is going to redefine the market? I'm not convinced yet. There's plenty of good products out there, activity trackers and smartwatches, but nothing that I would sit there and say like, oh, well, you absolutely have to go out and get one of these. Yeah, I, I don't – bold prediction, no, we're not going to see anything that's going to change the wearables market at CES in a couple of weeks. Um, but I just – if Apple couldn't figure it out and Samsung's doing they, – they got their great approach where they try everything, they iterate and they iterate and they iterate. Eventually, they get it right. Uh, it might be another couple of years. I really thought – I thought 2016 was the year because the 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 idea was already presented. People were getting used to the idea of having more than one device, maybe – and there were major companies behind it, but the execution just wasn't here this year in 2016. Yeah, yeah. 2017, I don't see it happening in the next few weeks. Maybe long shot, you know, December 26th of next year, 2017, somebody figures it out, but it won't be public until 2018. Yeah. I, I remember I mentioned that if you were to pair wearables with AR, you could have some really interesting, uh, 
applications in that respect. And uh, we'll talk more about VR in just a short moment, but uh, it, it, I, I agree with you. I think I think I think we're going to see plenty of examples. I think there are going to be lots of products to choose from, but I don't I don't see any breakaways yet on the horizon. But maybe we'll we'll be proven wrong. We're willing to have that happen. The point being, 2016 definitely wasn't the wearable year. My next prediction was that Apple would make a move to acquire Tesla, although Tesla might not agree to Apple's terms. And the reality is, woo, maybe. We don't know if that happened. We do know that uh, Tesla uh, got shareholder approval to acquire or uh, actually to merge with another company called Solar City, which was founded coincidentally, not coincidentally, by uh, Elon Musk's cousins. <laughs> and he was the chairman of Solar City. Uh, so Tesla and SolarCity are merging together. But uh, we do also know that Apple held some discussions with the executive team over at Tesla. But Musk was very careful to say, like, he could not comment on what the nature of those conversations was all about because, you know, that's that's confidential stuff. Uh, but a lot of reporters kept on asking, does this mean that there have been talks of acquisition between Apple and Tesla? And he says, I, I even if there were, I couldn't comment on it. So it's useless to ask me those questions. So we don't know if Apple had made a move. It's possible that Apple at least uh, expressed some interest, but there's no way to confirm that one way or the other. Um, and in the episode, I, as you mentioned, that there was a possibility that Apple would invest in Tesla, but not try to acquire it. And so in other words, there would be some sort of corporate investment on Apple's part, perhaps even having some members of Apple join the board of directors over at Tesla. Uh, but as far as I know, that has not yet happened either. We do know that Apple is definitely inter interested in developing autonomous car programs. Uh, very recently, Apple's director of product integrity, Steve Kenner, wrote to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to uh, advocate for better uh, rules and regulations specifically for autonomous vehicles, whether that is, you know, to expressly allow autonomous vehicles to be on the road or to create the infrastructure necessary to, uh, have, have those rules so that when weird things happen, we actually have law to point to and say, well, this is what we do in this case. But Apple itself as a company has not come out and said what they are planning on doing or what sort of timeline they're looking at. Uh, we just know that they're interested in autonomous cars, not when they might pull the trigger and jump into the game. Yeah, based on the last uh, things you were talking about, if Apple did buy a pre-existing car company, that would be a non-jobs move. Back to your other prediction. Uh, if Apple actually announced ahead of time, in 2019, we're going to have a self-driving car, that would also be not Jobsian in that kind of way, uh, now that I think about it. But yeah, the, the idea that Apple and Tesla were going to work together I liked that idea. They seem like they're a natural fit, but uh, I've, I've seen enough, I've read enough in the press that it seems like there's a bit of animosity between the two companies. Yeah. Uh, I know that Elon Musk says some derogatory things about some of the engineers that end up at Apple. They, they're the, they're the ones who get rejected from Tesla. So. Yeah, there's been, there's been some like, uh, sniping back and forth. And I know that there's been, like, whenever you look into the news stories, you'll hear about people defecting from one company and going to the other, and there's always some sort of snarky comment about that. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely some some uh, uh, rivalry going on there. 
Um, I I like the idea of Cook taking the stage and saying, essentially doing what Steve Jobs did for the announcement of the iPhone, saying, talking about an iPod that has uh, wi- wireless connectivity, a phone, and an internet device, and and. The, you know, as he goes on, you realize he's talking about one product, not three products. So something along the lines of, uh, uh, today I want to introduce to you a phone, a car, <laughs> and an internet device. A phone, a car, an internet device. Are you guys getting it? It's the same thing. It's the iCar. That's what I want to see. I think a car, just saying the phrase a car is a little bit, um, What's the word? It kind of gives it away too much. I think they would come up with something fancier to say. I think it gives it away a, too much too, but I think personal, it's hilarious. I got a personal transport device. Yeah, because then it could be a segue. Right. And then eventually, are you getting it? It's our car. Yeah. And we think you're going to love it. It's the thinnest car, <laughs> which is really bad for the safety tests. Well, it would, it would it would save on power consumption. You wouldn't have as uh, much mass to move around. The lightest car, it gets picked up from the slightest breeze. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good thing. If you want cars. to turn left, you just swipe left. <laughs> Some features will be added later. Yeah. yeah. It, it turns OS. out that your all of your um all of your navigation features are likely to send you to places that don't exist or in oh, that's gotten that's gotten better this year. <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. And Apple has drones out there checking out. At least that's according to a certain uh, recent report that Apple's got drones out there searching, getting uh, Maps app data back to the Maps app. So maybe it's not as bad as it used to be. Where you where you don't have like the Washington Monument located across the street from where it really is, that kind of thing. Oh no, they moved that just for the Apple's map. Yeah, they decided that's the drones are there for. They They're moved. Like, oh, you're right. It would it does look better over here. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so what was your next one? <laughs> oh, sorry. Mine was uh, also dead wrong. Google was going to go wireless, and finally it was going to become its own wireless carrier. Now, that didn't happen in 2016. I remember I was talking a bit, bit about Project Fi being out there, and Google still has that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was thinking maybe they would tie it in with Google Fiber, and Google Fiber would be some kind of backbone for a wireless service. Yeah, that slowed down too. Google Fiber, uh, there was a post on it from Google saying, for the most part, our potential fiber cities, those where we have – where we've been in exploratory discussions, we're going to pause our operations and offices while we refine our approaches. Yeah. So it looks like Google's push towards wired and wireless internet seems to be stalled, surprisingly. I really thought they were going to push forward with this. Yeah. Now, maybe next year, then maybe, maybe uh, there's always hope that they do this because there's so much consolidation in the wireless and wired space at this point that competition is good. But um, yeah, when when it was happened. when the news was first breaking that Google was kind of pull it, putting the brakes on fiber, like uh, they're still rolling it out in cities where they had started. So, for example, in Atlanta, they're still rolling out fiber because they had already started that process. They had already wired up several of the neighborhoods of Atlanta, not mine, but some of the neighboring ones. Uh, and then uh, there was some rumors at that point when Google said we're gonna we're gonna slow down that maybe they were going to explore becoming a wireless uh, internet service provider instead and rather than have to lay out a, a a fiber infrastructure they would look at you know building essentially essentially what equates to towers or or using existing uh, architecture to attach their their technology to but we I haven't seen any movement on that one way or the other. It all seemed to be largely based on just assumptions from uh, the media. 
And the other thing is I was just thinking about how Google did introduce their Wi-Fi router system that uses, essentially creates a mesh network within your own home. Mm-hmm. If Google sells enough of those, maybe they can somehow come up with a way to bridge that with Project Fi to build a network. But that would, that's a much longer-term thing. I don't yeah. doubt that Google is working on wireless solutions, but they have yet to make a real move. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see if 2017 changes that up at all. I, I do expect – like I keep hoping that Google Fiber will continue in Atlanta and continue to deploy so that I can hook up to it. I've really been looking totally forward to it. Totally selfish reasons. Totally selfish reasons. Totally. I, I completely will own up to that. Uh, but it would make podcasting from home a possibility as opposed to a trial, as I as well knows. <laughs> I'm very aware of that. That's actually why I'm happy with uh, a service I have now that's wireless. And I'm not going to sound like an ad, but I like my wireless carrier right now. Yeah, so maybe uh, we'll see Google follow suit and do the wireless thing. We'll have to keep an eye out, but uh, at at the moment, it is uh, is not a wireless carrier. Uh, my next prediction was that VR would fizzle out in 2016 in the consumer market, mostly because it took too long for really compelling headsets to make their way to store shelves. In in 2015, late 2015, none of the major headsets had yet hit the the market where consumers could actually buy a finished headset. So Oculus hadn't launched H- HTC Vive wasn't out yet. And of course, PlayStation VR only recently came out for consumers. So um, the only ones that you could really get your hands on were essentially apps on phones. And then you would get a cheap headset or a Google cardboard or something like that and slide your phone into it. And that was as close as you were going to get. And some of those experiences are all right, but uh, they aren't nearly as uh, immersive or uh, as comprehensive as the full headsets that were on their way. And my worry was that by the time the headsets finally premiered, because they we had been waiting for years for them to come out, uh, they would not be able to live up to expectation. And thus, we would end up seeing low adoption rates. And also, we'd probably see some sets just never come to market at all. That the the fact that there'd be a lack of interest after all this time would uh, cause that to collapse. Uh, so the day we are recording this episode, which is on December sixth, twenty sixteen, BGR published a piece titled "Demand for VR Headsets Has Been Surprisingly Disappointing." Clearly, they didn't listen to our show because I was not surprised. Uh, and according to Digitimes, demand has been weakening recently for VR headsets. And apparently the two big reasons that they were citing for the, the slow sales were high prices. So these are expensive headsets for the most part, particularly if you're looking at the PC-based ones, because unless you happen to have a PC that has a pretty hefty graphics processor, you'll probably have to either upgrade your computer or buy a new rig thus adding to the cost of your headset. Um, also, the other big reason would be the comp- the lack of compelling content, which anyone who is familiar with like the Wii or the Wii U or the Wii Move knows that'll kill a system. I mean, those, those systems were good. They weren't, they were decent systems with interesting innovations, but there weren't enough compelling games or experiences for them. And so... You'd play a little bit and then you just put it aside and it would just kind of gather dust. I'm seeing the same thing in VR right now. Uh, and even the PS4, uh, uh, PlayStation VR is suffering from this. I thought that that one out of all of them had the best chance 
of succeeding because there's a big install base of PS4 sets out there already. A lot of people own a PS4, which means they don't have to worry about that extra cost if they go and buy a PS VR set. Uh, you know, they already have the basic system that will take care of what they need on the processing end. They don't have to worry about their console, whether or not it's good enough. It is. But even that one hasn't done well. According to uh, this piece in BGR, uh, they had to slash their sales estimates from 2.6 million units all the way down to 750,000. It's a huge drop. So the question now is, can VR companies remain relevant enough to wait out this period until there are enough compelling reasons to own these systems to keep them viable in the market. I, I think so. I mean, you're, you're right. In 2016, it didn't really go uh, VR's way, and, and there's AR, all the different variants on these headset-based uh, realities. Uh, like I said last year, I said it probably takes, probably needs another year or two. And like you were mentioning, like I, I think one of the biggest problems has been that the PC-based VR needs really beefy processing. It needs yeah. a lot of power. And unless you have something that's really modern, it's not there yet. Now, maybe in two to three years when like the cutting-edge computers of today are the standard low-end pieces of, of computing then, then VR will be really universal. Right. But we have seen enough of these things come out. Oculus Rift came out. I was surprised that, that, the, that the HTC Vive came out. Uh, there's also the Google's Daydream View. There's a lot of different versions of these things. I believe uh, Oculus mentioned that they're working or Facebook's working on a version of the Oculus that is somewhere between the full-on rift that you are connected to a PC and something that's between that and the one where you place a, a phone in a headset, something that's a little bit more all-in-one. And so maybe we'll see these things, but like you're saying, the content, I've seen some of it. The content's pretty good. It's getting there. Yeah. But again, like with the with smartwatches, it's about compelling content. Is it just mm. like, hey, look, I can turn around and see a museum. That's nice, but do I want to be in this a, a long time? I think, again, technology is just not – the pace is too fast right now. The VR stuff is cool, but the, the screens aren't good enough yet or the processing isn't good enough yet. Or the, headsets, the or the headsets are too heavy, so when you wear them, you only want to wear them for up to maybe 20 to 30 minutes which means you have to design experiences that are ideal for 20 to 30 minutes, not sitting down for two hours to game because it's too uncomfortable to wear the headset that long. Yeah, a friend of mine has the Galaxy, the, the Gear VR one, and his phone was constantly overheating within it. So he hooked up a USB fan to it so he could be there for longer than 15 minutes. That is not the experience you should have when you're doing this. So it's still, yeah. I think, it's still early days. And uh, yeah, did not exactly light the world on fire. No, I, I, I have, I really do hope that it's able to weather the storm and to continue being a viable technology. I love the idea of virtual reality, uh, and I even love some of the implementations I've seen. I just, I'm not ready to dive in and spend, you know, a couple of grand in order to have one of those at home, particularly since the one I like the most of the ones I've tried, and I have not tried all of them. So this is just based upon my limited experience is the HTC Vive, because I like the fact that you can move around in a physical space and it's reflected within a game. But at the same time, I don't have a space in my home where I could do that. Like, even if I wanted to spend that much money, I don't have a room in my house that I could dedicate to VR. 
Uh, all of my rooms in my house are dedicated to just regular R. So uh, I don't think that that's, you know, that that's not for me either. But if we can get to that point where the standard PC, just because of the way technology moves, the standard PC is your baseline for being able to run VR, that will help a lot. Where people are buying these new computers not because they want to use a VR headset, but because that's now the, the standard low price computer and a VR headset will happen to work with that. That's the ideal situation. It is unfortunate that uh, the way technology tends to go is we see people try to take advantage of all the power a technology has available to it at that given time, which then puts the burden on the consumer when it comes time to actually buying something because it's going to be way more expensive that way. At the same time, you do want it to have a good experience. You don't want it something that's going to be super choppy or really low quality graphics or sound or something. That would be disastrous as well. So they were really in a tough position. They they had to come out with something because everyone was yelling for it. It had to be good <laughs> and preferably it would be cheap, but you couldn't really do all three. So we got really good. And we got, uh, you know, really powerful, uh, and compelling in a way, as long as the, the experience is there, but not cheap. It is not cheap. And I don't think there's anything out there yet for your average consumer to convince them to go and make that big investment. But maybe we will see that change over the next year or two. I'm sure we're going to see lots of VR stuff at CES this year too. It would shock yeah, me if we didn't. Microsoft had a big push into VR and AR with its last update to Windows 10. Yep. So I could see that with those low-priced accessories. I think they were talking about $200, maybe $300 for more VR headsets that are working with Windows 10. So I could imagine that at CES, we're going to see a lot of other headsets, a lot of other accessories that take advantage of this. But again, it's not, it's, it's not ready for the masses yet. Just, yeah. It, they're just, they're just, just not there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me in a way of when personal computers first really hit the market. Like that, that was also one of those things that a very niche market opened up for personal computers. It took more than a decade for that to become something that you would find in, uh, in, in the average home. Uh, you could even argue <laughs> almost two decades really. For that to become a thing. And uh, so it may be that VR is going to follow probably a much shorter cycle than that, but a similar pathway. Now, that we both were talking about VR in that last one. Then uh, my prediction came up again. So the next one I made was that the cable industry will see subscriber numbers shrink further, but it wasn't going to be the tipping point where, you know, the sky would be falling for cable companies. And uh, I was more right than not, but I don't think – I don't really give myself a lot of points for this. One, because it was pretty obvious. And two – the shrinking actually slowed a bit. Um, numbers show that, yes, there's still a decrease in subscribers overall throughout the industry, but that decrease isn't at the same rate as it was the previous year. It slowed a bit, so it's starting to trickle. Uh, some people have said perhaps we're seeing an end to this attrition rate that had been taking place, and maybe now we're reaching a point where the people who are currently subscribed to cable television are uh, are are not they're not holdouts. It's just these are people who are satisfied with the service and don't have any desire to move away from it. So uh, you could think of the people who were the cord cutters and the cord nevers as being on the outskirts of this group, and now that they're gone, so what's left is that core 
and it's a big one. It's We're talking millions of people here. It's not like it's a few hundred thousand. Uh, so we may have hit a plateau. Uh, it may be that we're going to continue to see a decrease, but it'll be a much smaller amount year over year. Um, and in fact, Comcast this year reported it had a slight gain in subscribers uh, compared to the year before. So it, it may very well be that the cord cutting phenomenon is at least pausing right now. Uh, or or slowing down right now. What do you think, I? As I, I mean, I I don't tend to cover this so much, but um, I mean, I know what my own personal feeling is, but that's based upon my own biases. So, <laughs> I think you know the the big guttural switch from being a a cable having person to a cord cutter. I think that's happened you know over the past couple of years, but that trend is declining just because there's only so much so many people who are willing to leave. For, yeah. for my, you know, myself, I don't have it. I don't have cable. Uh, my brother does. He would never get rid of his cable, and my mom wouldn't. There's always a bunch of people that won't, and and people like me who are cord killers, or if you want to call them that, we don't bother to like evangelize. Oh, you could do this. You could do that. At this point, it's just there's enough options out there that with something like the uh, Sony PlayStation View, there's also DirecTV Now. There's all these different options out there that I think the market's getting more and more educated when it comes to what can you do with or without the cord. I think that might change things next year because now the DirecTV now exists and PlayStation View exists and they're much, very much like cable subscriptions. That could maybe get people to switch, but only if they understand what costs they're saving because a lot of people are like, why would I ever pay this much money for television if I could just get cable? You're not paying for the rental of the box. You're not paying for the DVR fee and other stuff. But it's it's that kind of thing that's going to change people's perception. If what do they understand cable to be? What do they want it to be? And are they just trying to substitute that massive pipeline of channels, or are they just going? I'm going to do other stuff. I'm going to do VR. I'm going to read a book. Yeah. I'm going to play yeah. a game. I'm going to watch Netflix. Right. I'm just going to mainline all the Netflix original shows. Now, your next one was another one uh, revolving around Facebook. Acquisitions. I, I can't be uh, right about these ever. <laughs> Facebook. I said Facebook will buy HTC. Um, I believe HTC worked with Facebook on phones before. And no, that didn't happen. Yeah, Facebook. And, uh, that would have been interesting. We would have seen a, a dramatic decrease in competition in that fizzling VR space. Well, that would have been interesting if the Vive and the uh, and the Rift were together somehow. Yeah. Like the, the, the it's odd because the word the word rift suggests that you could never have such a thing. I'm sure they'd have to come up with some kind of cross platform revive rift. Yeah, I'm going to leave that one alone. But yeah. Uh, yeah, HTC, which I thought was ripe for an acquisition at this point because it's it's struggling. Although HTC did get a design win, I believe they're the people behind or the company, excuse me, the company behind Google's Pixel phone and the Pixel XL. So yeah. while it doesn't have any branding from HTC. ACC is the hardware partner, so they do have that. I still think that company, ACC, needs some kind of huge win out there because they make some really great hardware. I mean, I have the Pixel. I really enjoy it. I've played with HTC phones for years. They're really quite solid, and they just can't make a splash in this crowded market place between Samsung and Apple. Those two just together are just monstrously large. And then there's every there's a small bit of the pie for everybody else. Yeah, and, and we talked about this... Last time, too, my first smartphone was an HTC smartphone because it was the uh, the 
HTC G1, the the first um, Google phone in uh, the United States with the slide-out keyboard. And uh, it is interesting, just as we were about to go into the studio, I saw a thing on the BBC that said that uh, that there were some indications in the market that Google might be interested in pursuing an acquisition with HTC, although that seems kind of odd to me. Uh, mostly because we already saw Google do that with Motorola Mobile, and then that didn't work out. But, I mean, uh, who's to say? I'm not an expert on these things by any stretch of the imagination. So possibly we could see uh, an acquisition, but maybe it's Google, not Facebook, doing the acquiring. Um, in which case you would see Google get into the VR game uh, even bigger than they already have with their their Daydream stuff and uh, and Google Cardboard. You know, I think you just accidentally hit on something there. That, that would be the good reason why Motorola didn't necessarily work out with Google because Google can do handsets. But when it comes to VR, they might be struggling. And the Vive being one of the better experiences I've heard about. I have not tried it out myself. I know you have. Yeah. Uh, colleagues of mine have tried it out, and they really love what the Vive is. Maybe that's the kind of information and technology that they're looking for. But that's all speculation. Yeah, yeah. It may just be that they were talking about other partnerships. I mean, like like you were saying, I as with the Pixel being an HTC handset, even without the branding. I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, that's also the next phone I want, but I don't have one right now. Uh, my next prediction was that we would see lots more growth in online media like Amazon Prime uh, videos, Hulu, Netflix, and also we would see a lot more from independent or smaller creative studios, which was a total gimme. Uh, I don't think – I think I could have predicted water is wet and that would have been slightly less surprising than this prediction. So yes, we did see lots of new shows and movies coming out from all of these platforms. We also saw YouTube Red getting into the game and, and really pushing uh, original content, including series that star YouTube uh, celebrities who have become famous for their own channels being put into scripted series. Um, I, I've seen, I've seen lots of commercials for those recently when I've gone to see actual movies, like there's usually a promo there for the upcoming YouTube series. So this, I think, is going to continue. We're just going to see more and more of these. A uh, lot of different platforms out there. All of them are struggling to find a way to differentiate themselves from the other competitors in the field. Like, you know, why is it that you would go to one versus another? And uh, especially for for groups like Netflix, where they're having a harder time establishing a video library from other content creators, why not just go through and make your own darn content? If it all happens to be Daredevil spinoffs, so be it. I'll watch them. Uh, so yeah, I think um, not a bold prediction by any means, but I, I would say I was I was pretty much correct on this one. Yeah, you're right on this. There wasn't like any massive consolidation by any means. It wasn't like Netflix was purchased by Disney. That would have been crazy. That was a rumor at one point. Yeah. Hulu was dissolved. So there's still competition. So I, I, I like the fact that you are right on this one. And thankfully, there's enough competition out there when it comes to streaming services. But there's a lot, a lot of services out there that are just competing for your dollars. I know there's like NBC's CISO is like this $4 thing. And there's a Lifetime Movie Club. It's $4. There's all these little tiny clubs that are popping up mm-hmm. that, you know, after a while, you're paying. It's almost it's almost a la carte television. Almost. Yeah. But um, we're not going to get that yet. No, I, I, a la carte television, I think is, is, I don't know that we'll ever get it. 
not not until we get to a point where cable television and satellite TV just don't make sense anymore. And at that point, maybe. But until that happens, I just don't see it being a real viable alternative. Uh, the biggest surprise for me was when HBO finally went with HBO Go. Mm-hmm. That was one of those things where I was I was skeptical it would ever happen. Uh, not and I still don't subscribe to it. Uh, so when people talk about Westworld, I tune out because I haven't seen any of it yet. Uh, wait, 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 wait! You haven't seen Westworld? I know I want to so badly, but I don't have HBO Go. You can get HBO now, or yeah. you get uh, you could get one of those things. Like I'm I'm shocked because I think Westworld would be right up your alley. I I know I know I'm still I'm still behind on uh, Black Mirror though, so I, don't, I gotta. Oh, you gotta, could skip half of that. I wouldn't. That's an aside. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. So, yeah, sir. yeah. Uh, so your next prediction was about a uh, video yes. game company. Yeah, the Nintendo NX will be good. That was my prediction. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I'm going to give myself, you know, a third of a point on that one. You got to pass. We're not sure. Yeah. It's not even out until nope. March 2017, but the yep. NX got a name. It's called the Nintendo Switch. It's this hybrid home console slash portable console, basically dock. It's kind of like the NVIDIA Shield tablet, if you think of it that way. Yeah. You can dock this tablet and it works your TV, but this is all based on Nintendo's promo video where they showed off all the different variants of this and what it could do. But as far as I know, I don't know anybody's played with this device yet. I believe in January they're going to, Nintendo will speak about more of the features about the switch. Yeah. But, uh, it's definitely interesting whether it's good or not. That's, that's you know, up for debate. There's the possibility that they could be at CES to show it off in a little quiet, Sweet somewhere because that's how I found out about the Wii U. It was before that the surprised me. Yeah, well, it, I mean, when the Wii U before the Wii U came out, uh, Nintendo rented a suite in. I want to say it was in uh, the Renaissance, and I got an invite to go check out the Wii U. So I did, and I got a chance to play with it before anyone on the public had had a chance. You know, it was just people, just people in the industry and people in media who got a chance to play with it. So here's hoping they do the same thing with the Switch. Yeah, I, I, I like the Switch is reminds me a lot of the Wii in the sense that it has a very innovative uh, style for the way you interact with the the game system, whether you're using it as a handheld or if you plug it into your you know docking station so that you play it on a on a large television and the various types of of controller configurations. Uh, it just again drives home the fact that they better have some really compelling games and experiences to make really good use of that configuration. Because if they don't, you're like, well, this is really cool hardware, but what do I do with it? Yeah, I don't know if they do, but we'll see. And then I had another prediction. Yeah, these, this, this is where we went into uh, this is where we went into some rapid fire predictions. Yeah. Apple will let you set default apps on iOS. Now, I was wrong about that, but you can delete stock apps. You can delete stock app all you want. You take, take, let's imagine you were like, I'm going to get rid of Apple's Maps app. Cool. You can get rid of it. And then you're like, I'm going to set Google Maps as my new default. No, what happens is when you click an address, it asks you, iOS asks you to reinstall Apple's Maps app. So you can get rid of stock apps. You cannot choose a non-Apple default app. So wah, and, then, wah. and then it nags you to go back yeah. to the stock app. That's also why I'm on a Pixel phone now, by the way. <laughs> okay, that's fair. 
that's actually why I'm like, okay, I'm tired of this game. I'm moving over back to Android. Um, and speaking of, of Android and phones, I said something about a battery tech breakthrough. We're going to have a battery tech breakthrough in 2016. Yeah, we didn't really get that. Well, we, we've got we've got some promising work in labs, but nothing in the consumer space yet. Although one of the groups I was reading about in MIT was preparing uh, the technology to go into consumer products in the near future. So we are seeing some movement on this now. Batteries are are constricted by these pesky laws of physics that unfortunately are keep things from just exploding well not exploding is a bad word with samsung uh, <laughs> keep <laughs> keep things from from experiencing exponential performance right you you tend to see very gradual improvements in 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 performance with batteries as we experiment with different materials but um, uh, there are a lot of researchers out there who are really working on trying to improve battery life because obviously we're making more and more powerful electronics that are meant to be portable, uh, handheld devices especially. And if they're sucking up all that power that has to come from somewhere and you want to have a battery that's capable of keeping up or else you're recharging every you know, 30 minutes or whatever – so some people at MIT have been working on the next generation of batteries. Uh, uh, some of them have been working with lithium metal batteries, which is interesting because early lithium batteries were lithium metal batteries. But uh, they were not terribly stable. They were not very safe. And that's when we started moving away from lithium metal batteries to lithium ion batteries. But now we're looking at another move back to lithium metal where you can have essentially twice the capacity – of the previous generation batteries, uh, but in the same size form factor, which would be huge. Um, and when we'll see that in consumer products, I don't know. Or if it'll ever actually make it there, I don't know. Um, there's been a lot of attention aimed at batteries ever since the, the Galaxy Note issue. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't the breakthrough I was talking about where things were poorly engineered. The battery yeah, – where, where fire was breaking through <laughs> the, yeah, that's the phone. Not, that's not exactly what I was talking about in the literal sense. I guess technically yeah. it might, might have actually got a point there. But that wasn't, that wasn't the breakthrough I was thinking of. I, I am uh, – I got I to go on record and say I am glad that neither you nor I made the prediction that Samsung was going to suffer this terrible PR disaster as people were discovering their – their devices catching fire and have to issue an enormous recall. Cause if either of us had predicted that it would sound like we had caused it. Well, yeah. And then that, the other prediction that would have caused more problems is that there would be a second recall. Yes. Oh man. I, I, I flew to Berlin shortly after the second recall was announced and, uh, and every flight I was on, cause I, I had to fly from Atlanta to Chicago first and then Chicago to Berlin and then coming back, it was reversing that that trip. Every airport and every announcement before getting on the flight involved like if you happen to have a Note Seven, you can't take it on the plane. <laughs> they even set up an exchange table at one of the airports where you were supposed to come in and exchange your phone for a different phone that would not presumably catch fire in the middle of the flight. So yeah, not, not neither of us were able to predict that. Um, I had a couple of rapid fire questions that I just asked and we both gave our kind of our, our opinions about. One of them was, will we see a truly autonomous car 
debut in 2016 for consumer use, and both of us said, no, that's not going to happen. And true to form, that didn't happen, although we did get a lot of driver assist systems that were being misused as if they were driverless cars, Tesla Autopilot being the big example there. Um, and I did a whole thing where I said, maybe calling it Autopilot was the first mistake. Because that sounds like it could just take over for you and that that's you're fine. Um, it doesn't excuse people from ignoring the multitude of warnings that say, under no circumstances should you do that. But uh, we saw some pretty tragic results of people misusing Tesla Autopilot as if it were a driverless car. And as we both predicted, we don't have any driverless cars on the market for consumers just yet. Everyone's working on it, though. To be fair to the naming convention here, don't forget there, there's a number of reports. I'm pretty sure these are these are real. People deciding that they were going to hit cruise control on their vehicle and then going to the back of their vehicle or doing something else. Naming isn't everything. Yeah. No, there at least have been plenty of uh, of scenes in movies and television where characters have done that to comedic effect. And I would not be surprised if those were, in fact, based upon true accounts at some point or another. You you make a good point. It's I think when I say it's the first mistake of calling it autopilot, I don't mean it's the only mistake. <laughs> it's the primary oh, yeah. driver. As soon as anyone knows, hey, this system that's in this car – uh, is such an advanced driver assist system that it is essentially driving for you, then it's, you're, you're inviting people to use it in, in ways that it was not intended. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll see a driverless car hit the market within the next couple of years. I don't think 2017 is going to be the year for it either. At least not one marketed as a driverless car. I don't think that's a possibility. We still have a lot of, uh, people working on just getting the legality of driverless cars established. Yeah, I was going to mention, I was going to mention the legal loopholes, not loopholes, the, the hurdles, excuse me, that they would yeah. have to get through. This, that's a lot, a lot of work ahead. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's hard to, to judge how long that's going to take because it's unprecedented, right? A lot of the law that, you know, whenever we talk law and, and Ayaz knows this way better than I do, he has training in law. Uh, but, um, much of our law is based upon precedent and builds upon precedent. And when you get to, to cases where, it is. It requires a new le- new layer of thinking. It's a lot slower because you have to really put a lot of thought into how are you going to frame this so that you don't cause more problems further down the road, in this case, uh, both figuratively and literally. So, um, yeah, it's probably going to take a while before we get truly autonomous cars marketed for the book. Now, let me ask you this. Just I know that we're not making predictions right now, but do you think we're going to see autonomous cars more likely to be used in uh, like a like a fleet, kind of like Uber or Lyft, before they would ever be available for individual consumer purchase? I think I know they're being tested right now. You can get into an Uber that's it's it's essentially driving itself, but there is an engineer sitting in the yeah, driver's seat. I think Pittsburgh. I think I believe we're going to see a lot of those happening before. Mm-hmm. We see this, the fleet allowed to be truly without anybody in the car. Yeah. Because I could also see the liability aspects just being through the roof. Sure. Just imagine some, some guy deciding to sit in the driver's seat of a driverless vehicle and then taking it over. That could be a huge nightmare. Yeah. As long uh, so as, has, as long as there are physical controls to take over, that does remain a problem. Right. So that's, that's the kind of thing that would have to be figured out. So, uh, fleet, maybe I would actually think it probably happen in commercial. Usages maybe in like truckers. trucks, 
Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Like there's a, a lead trucker. I think I've seen a couple of those already in testing. I think that would happen first because that's a an industry that's more used to being regulated. Yeah. Uh, it sounds sounds uh, very realistic to me. My next question was, would we see any big company shakedowns with huge changes at the executive level? Uh, you had pointed out HTC and BlackBerry both had the potential to go that way. Neither of us were really certain. We knew that it was going to happen because it happens every year. Uh, when you're talking about something as big as the tech industry, clearly uh, there's going to be at least one shakedown somewhere. <laughs> It doesn't, you know, might not necessarily be a top, top name in technology, but it'll definitely happen. So there were some big ones. Uh, Condé Nast, which is, you could argue, is not really a tech company, uh, had a pretty significant executive shuffle. Uh, but they're, they're moving from print-based focus to digital focus. They've been concentrating on that for years, but the shakedown, uh, moving things around and putting different executives in the, into new positions, uh, really had more to do with let's refocus this on creating a true digital business. Um, Hyperloop One had one of the most bizarre and dramatic stories. Did you follow any of the story of Hyperloop One and and the crazy stuff that was going on between the co-founders? No, this I didn't know about. Yeah. So, all right. So Hyperloop One is one of the companies that's working to create Hyperloop uh, as a reality. Hyperloop, of course, is Elon Musk's little uh, off-the-cuff suggestion. It's a little more than that, but he, he was very casual in the way he, he suggested this, of an enclosed train system where you would pump out most of the air, so it would be a near vacuum, but not a real vacuum, a very low-pressure uh, uh, enclosed tunnel system, and shoot trains through magnetic levitation at super high speeds so you could travel between, say, Los Angeles and San Francisco in like half an hour. Um, which would be pretty darn fast. And there are a couple of different companies that have been working on being the first to actually make this a reality. One of those is Hyperloop One. Um, and the former CTO of Hyperloop One was Brogan Bambrogan. Uh, and that is his name, Brogan Bambrogan, who, who actually came over from SpaceX to be an engineer for Hyperloop One. Uh, there was some sort of crazy falling out between Bambrogan and the other co-founders of the company. And Bambrogan was ousted from the company. He then sued his former co-workers. They countersued him because they said that he was uh, spreading uh, untruths about them, including uh, saying that one of the other executives had threatened him by placing a noose on his desk which seems pretty extreme. Uh, don't know if it's true or not, but anyway, there was this big move of suing and countersuing. And then in November, the whole thing was settled out of court. Uh, the terms were not disclosed. We don't know who was paid what or to what extent. But man, if you want to talk about a dramatic <laughs> shakedown in the executive level, it tells me that I'm going to have to do an episode about Hyperloop 1 just to really dig into what exactly happened and, uh, and to, because it is a crazy, even the bit I've just talked about, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We saw some there's other, well, I'm sorry. There's, iceberg, there's icebergs as well as nooses. Uh, well, you know, uh, typically, uh, these would be, have to be figurative icebergs. You don't really get literal icebergs in enclosed train tubes, at least not yet anyway. Not. Yeah. Maybe that, let's look for Hyperloop version 2.0 for, uh, iceberg integration. Uh, Intel also said goodbye to some executives. 
some folks who were in charge of the mobile chip divisions, uh, the PC division and the Internet of Things division were either let go or replaced or, or moved into a different position. Um, Intel's been struggling a little bit in this space because PC sales are starting to really – well, they have been over the last few years on on the the decline. And, uh, of course, Intel's big business is manufacturing chips for, for personal computers. And that's still where they get most of their, their revenue. But uh, – you know, it's they're they're trying to maintain relevancy in a world that is changing around them. So they've been reevaluating their priorities. I'm curious to see what their booth is going to look like this year at C or next year at CES, since we're still in 2016. Uh, and E-Trade changed several executive level positions in September, including replacing the chief executive officer. So there were some big shifts around at the executive level at various companies. Um, but again, that happens every year. Uh, I also asked, are there any tech bubbles that we'll see burst in 2016? And this is kind of similar to the, the, the executive shakeup one. We're like, well, maybe there, there didn't seem to be anything that was just on the verge of imploding. Uh, I, as you said, maybe we will finally stop hearing the phrase, the Uber of whatever. Like this company is the Uber of mobile game apps. I think that's actually right, though. I don't. I don't remember hearing that phrase in a long time, or my brain has completely blocked it since last year. Yeah, I, I haven't heard it a whole lot either. I think. I think part of that is due to the fact that as time goes on, I feel worse and worse about the company Uber. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I don't. I'm not terribly. I'm not a big fan. Like I. I, I like the service just fine, but it's a company that makes me uncomfortable with the way the executive leadership. Uh, communicates. I mean, you've got executives who are actively talking about a future in which they replace all human drivers with autonomous cars, which puts thousands of people out of work. Like you're saying this while these people are working for you. You're essentially announcing, hey, your time is limited. Your days are numbered. We're going to replace you. Keep driving. It, it, it doesn't that that rubs me the wrong way. Uh, so anyway, but I, I also have not heard people use that phrase very much recently. I said that we probably see some food delivery services start to phase out due to too many players in the market space. I think actually there are more of them, <laughs> at least in my neighborhood. So I'm not complaining because I'm lazy and I like it when food comes to me. So uh, I'm all right with being wrong about that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know that there is anything that's on the verge of imploding. Like, VR probably would have been the closest except for the fact that it hadn't really launched yet. So I think to implode, you have to be big first and then fall apart. I think VR's problem is that it it's having a real issue getting traction. And so it may be more of a, a fizzle rather than an implosion. Um. And I also asked, will any technology officially die in 2016? I don't, I can't think of anything where, you know, we, we just say, Oh, you, do you remember such and such? Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, in fact, I would say some of the more obsolete, quote unquote, obsolete types of a technology made a little bit of a comeback in 2016. <laughs> like vinyl? Vinyl, definitely. I bought three vinyl albums on Saturday or no, I'm sorry, on Friday. Well, I guess technically one of them was on Saturday because it had passed midnight at that point. Um, 
Yeah, so I bought three vinyl albums just this past weekend, and or or like we mentioned, eight uh, millimeter film. We did I as you and I did an episode, not not the predictions episode, but we did an episode about obsolete technologies once upon a time, and one of those we talked about was eight millimeter film. Well, CES twenty sixteen. Kodak came out with a new eight super eight millimeter film camera, <laughs> which was one of the big hits among my team. We all went crazy for it because uh, it was a real kind of uh, nostalgic throwback to uh, how we all got started in shooting film. So maybe I'm a little more gun shy about saying which pieces of technology are going to die at this point. I, I did just find I did just find while we were talking about this. Yeah. Technology that did die this year. Yeah. Uh, it was happened in July. Headline reads, last known VCR maker stops production 40 years after the VHS format launch. Now, yeah. I believe in 2015, the last VHS tapes were being produced. Yes. 2016 is the end of the VCR production, which is right, very, very sad. Yeah, we can, we can say that the VCR, I guess, officially is dead now. Uh, so yeah, maybe that, there we go. There's one. Yeah, we, we couldn't really think of any off the top of our heads when we were making these predictions. I also asked, do you think the Facebook professional services platform will be a success? And we were both very noncommittal, like, well, we don't know enough about it yet. Maybe it will be. We don't really know. And, uh, no, it got shut down in November. <laughs> so so yeah, the thing maybe- we didn't really know about, we never really got to know. I completely forgot that it existed yeah. until I saw the note and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a thing and it didn't go anywhere. And then I asked you, do you think uh, – well, I said this this question wasn't for you because you're not as into computer games as I am. Uh, I asked, will the, the game Star Citizen actually come out in 2016? So you had no opinion. I said it probably would not and it was running the risk of becoming the next Duke Nukem Forever, a game that is, per, you know, is almost always just in development. And so it runs the danger of by the time it finally comes out, disappointing people because it's not what they were hoping it would be. It didn't come out in 2016, or at least not since – not by the time we're recording this. Uh, parts of the game have come out. Like you can do little things that are connected to the game, but the game itself hasn't come out. People have poured $131 million into this game. And there, there are people who have spent thousands of dollars – on video game spaceships for this game and the game has not yet come out. Um, this game is weird. It's, it's like the most successful game that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> uh, so I, not, I'm not shocked that it didn't come out. Uh, I keep hoping that to see it come out. The last I saw, there still wasn't a specific date that was being cited as the release date but it's supposed to be coming out soon. Um, and the final question is one we can't answer, which was, uh, do you think Rogue One will be any good? I mean, we could answer that, but we can't answer whether or not it is good because we haven't seen it yet. I, I assume, I as you haven't seen it yet, right? I have not seen it. And last year when you mentioned this to me, I, did, I had no idea this movie was being made. Yeah. Well, now you can't avoid the marketing for it. It's everywhere. Star Wars Rogue One, the first of the spinoff Star Wars movies that are uh, not directly part of the the main storyline. Although this one is real darn close to it since it's about the team that uh, stole the plans for the Death Star, which play an important role in a little movie called Star Wars A New Hope. We do um, know that there is no sequel to Rogue One coming. 
that's been announced because essentially the sequel to Rogue One is, is a new hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Star Wars. Did you see, did you see the thing that hit the internet where someone, uh, like Disney furious that Rogue One sequel poster has leaked and it was the poster for Star Wars, a new hope? <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. Yeah. I like, that's, that's, I mean, that's essentially it. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's a cute joke. Um, yeah, still haven't seen it because it hasn't come out as of the time we're recording this podcast. So, uh, I'm still anticipating it. There's one of my coworkers here who maybe she's already seen it. She's got a lot of, uh, she's got a lot of clout over with the Star Wars folks, but she's positively like vibrating over excitement about seeing this movie. It's, if you, if you say Rogue One near her, her eyes just light up. So, um, here's hoping it will be a truly entertaining film for her sake, if no one else's. And that's it. Those were all the predictions we made. Uh, I think we did okay. Uh, our big crazy predictions didn't necessarily come true, but in some cases, even weirder things happened. And that's always fun. Um, did you have any, any that you were like, wow, man, I was, I was just, I either, I was way closer than I thought, or I was just completely off base. You know, it, it, looking back on the prediction show and seeing the results, I see that I'm consistently yearly fascinated with Blackberry and HTC. <laughs> it's this sickness I have because I keep seeing these two floundering companies, which I've been covering for years. And mm. so I guess it's, it's, uh, although I didn't even think about Blackberry this year, so that's waning. So maybe that's already over. I'm getting past it. So, uh, I, I was, uh, I guess I'm a little surprised at things I've forgotten Facebook even having that business thing and mm-hmm. Yahoo finally finding its proper suitor or it's, 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 it's a new home. That seems like that was in- inevitable. So we'll yeah. see how this all shakes out over the long term. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Uh, and, and you know, I'm going to be doing a predictions episode, which you guys out there will hear very shortly, uh, where I will predict what I think will happen in 2017, a year, Filled with way more uncertainty than I think 2016 was. There's some big questions, particularly along the lines of things like, what is the fate of net neutrality in 2017? Big, tough questions. So I can't wait to tackle that one. It's going to be a laugh riot. And Be uh, bold. Yeah. Be bold. And I'm going to try, Ayaz is invited to do this as well. I'm going to try and get some of my friends to send in a prediction or two, if they like, and those will also be featured in the show. It'll mainly be me, but I will be happy to uh, to feature some predictions from other folks. We'll see how many people are able to respond. I gave them uh, a little bit of time, but everyone's very busy this time of year. So we, we will try to get as many of those as we can. And uh, Ayaz, where can people find your work? You can find my work at CNET.com or... Twitter.com slash IAZ, I-Y-A-Z. That's where I post pretty much everything and anything and a lot on Instagram these days. Same username, at IAZ, I-Y-A-Z, because I think and I predict that Twitter will, is not long for this world. Yeah, that's – I wish I could say that's a bold prediction. But yeah, every day when I come on and I log on to Twitter, I think, well, I guess it's not this day. <laughs> Yeah, um, interesting. Also, if you do follow Ayaz on Instagram, you might learn a little something about the wonderful profession of uh, professional wrestling. You never know. Oh, good gosh. Yes, you will. Yeah. Oh, man. And it's awesome. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any predictions for 2017 that you want to share with me, send them my way. 
Uh, the email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle of both of those is techstuffhsw. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.